another edition of 43.6, the sports podcast you've always wanted. I'm Dustin Perry, and I'm joined by James Key. Hello, James. Welcome to another attempt at this episode 20 of 43.6, the sports podcast and attempts you haven't always seen, I guess. I can't be blamed for my computer just deciding to stop connecting to the internet. That's not my fault. Listen, I just feel less guilt. I feel better that it's not me for once. That's all. That's true. It usually is you. I know, right? And joining us on this podcast is also Maddie Key. Hello, Maddie. Hi. Round two. Let's go. <laughs> yes, this is round two. Hopefully, the last round. Uh, we had some technical issues on the first go around on this wonderful podcast that you can get on all of your lovely podcast services. 43.6 is what you want to be looking for. You can also find us on YouTube at 43.6 as well. Go into the search bar, type in 43.6. And then once you find us, hit subscribe because uh, until we get enough subscribers, we can't have an actual like URL. So we have to direct you to the YouTube main page and then search for 43.6. Or a so we appreciate it if you do subscribe and tell your friends and tell your friends to subscribe as well because we talk about sports and a lot of other things on this show. Some of the things that we will talk about today will be the Toronto Blue Jays, will be Marcus Stroman. We will talk about Mike Babcock, Nazem Kadri, Phil Kessel, the Dallas Stars, Matt Areza or Ariza or whatever. And as we discussed last week, we are going to talk about our top five favorite fast food items. But before we get to all that, we like to catch up on the last week and discuss what has happened in our lives since the last time we got around these microphones and talked. So I believe both James and Maddie were at Fan Expo this weekend. Many a day. Yeah. I, okay. We've been doing this and I thought it was like, oh, like 10 year thing. I had one of those Facebook memories where it's like this day, blah, blah, blah. It's been like 15 years we've been going to Fan Expo. (laughs) Which is nuts. And I think it's been longer than that because I think the first one I went to, I was 16. And it was just like a random thing that we decided to go to. Never really heard about it. It was small in the North building. For those who know MTCC. Um, Yeah, so we were kind of excited to get back because this is the first full one they've done, obviously, since the pandemic. And I'm going to be honest, man. I may never go to another Saturday fan expo again. <laughs> like I'll do the Thursday and the Friday and maybe the Sunday if there's shit like I want to haggle with because everyone knows those guys don't the less they have to carry back the better. So you can haggle and say, yo, do two for, you know, buy one, get one 50% off or buy one, get one free for some shit. Or if a statue is like 500, you can say, yo, do it for like 400 and they'll do it. But man, Saturday was a gong show. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty messy, man. It was like, it was probably top two, I would say top two most congested I've ever felt there. Like, it was pretty busy that one year where they were like, we fucked with the fire code. Um, And they got fined. Yeah, and they got, but I think it was a different company at the time. Um, they, they, They just like... I don't stupid th- decisions of planning yeah i just think they get to a point where they're like this is how we're gonna do it but they don't think about all the repercussions like the way to get in if you didn't have your ticket delivered and you had to pick it up or you bought it was the most ridiculous way to get into an event i've ever seen in my life so you have to go to the ticket booth 
you either show them that you bought a ticket and scan your QR code uh, to receive your badge or you buy your badge, right? Then you get your badge. Then you have to go up a mini ramp and scan another QR code, which then takes you to a website where you register your badge and activate it. Once the badge is activated, you then go up to the front and scan your badge in to get in and you have to scan your badge out to leave so that you can come back in because like for in out privileges but like nobody there really knows what's going on and everyone's giving you kind of like different levels of information and because there's 14 different qr codes that you have to use like the one on my phone the one i have to scan the one i have to activate like if someone goes there are more qr codes to scan up here that means fuck all to me because you have four QR codes that I have to deal with. So it was just confusing to get in at times, but, uh, it was still cool, man. Like it was mm -hmm. still, I mean, I, I'm a different person now than I was 14 years ago. Like you referenced, like I just, I don't have like all my purchases are triple guessed. Like I don't sit there and go, yeah, I'm buying this. Yeah. I'm buying this. I'm like, yeah, should I? And I walk away for literally a day maybe two before I sorry now like they're like shared experiences because like that's even one thing i noticed about your buying mentality this year it was more about things that you're into with your daughter yeah so like before we would buy artwork being like i like this i want it and then now it's you're buying artwork because you're like i like it but my daughter also likes it yeah and we can put it in her room or put it up somewhere and have like a shared memory because yeah. she came with us this year right so um i just was totally irresponsible knowing that i'm gonna be having a kid in five months and i spent like a thousand dollars on swords like samurai swords <clears throat> like dude these things hold the on. guy was hold the on. guy was <laughs> doing a display of how they and he was taking cardboard and he's just like <laughs> slicing through it like just slicing through cardboard like it's nobody's business like human flesh bone this thing would absolutely go through and just i always wonder eviscerate. how these so yeah how the how these people can get in and sell these in in things like like the guy had like switchblades and extendos like there's yeah. no way that you just waltz into a building with like two hundred thousand people with legitimate weapons and are like weapons yeah weapons <laughs> like well th it, the thing is too is i had this comment on thursday i think you were with us when we were walking around saying this maybe not it might have been my buddy shout out brandon to and the wifey and me when we were walking in with that many people over the weekend statistics would show at least one of those people have murdered somebody in their life right or at least and, is attempted to or thought about or, it seriously yeah, or maimed somebody like pretty severely and <clears throat> sorry excuse me and you're selling weapons there now i will say my purchases of swords were the caveat because i'm a big anime fan so they were usable handmade replicas from demon slayer so for those who know the Nerd. swords no, Dustin, i will fight you he has swords man don't, don't fuck with this yeah guy. i got i got a thousand dollars worth of swords i will dice you <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah like the replicas of like tanjiro sword and one of the other characters tomioka and i bought a replica of hand forge replica from the lead character in neo and then I bought like a couple other things, but yeah, I would say my purchases were even different this year. Usually I go for, you know, little things like keychains or, you know, maybe posters or 
sweaters and stuff like that. And it was more of like, like I even bought a poster for my future kid and her, uh, for the nursery. And it's a picture of Evie and she's the Pokemon laying on a cloud and in the sky above her, it's all the evolutions and she's sleeping on the cloud, the regular Evie. And in, in the middle of it all, it says, if you can dream it, you can become it. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And I bought two, one for my niece and one for my future daughter. Cause it'd be a cool thing they can share. Um, and both have, and kind of draw hopefully inspiration from, but I, I will say it didn't, I still love fan expo. I still love the atmosphere. I still love walking around, seeing all the artists, especially like at artist alley and stuff like that. But yeah, I will never do another Saturday. Fuck that. And like we, we used to do full four days and I just, I don't think it's, I don't think we get four days worth out of it anymore. Like for the people we are, like we don't attend a shit ton of panels. Like if anything, I attend panels to rest. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, this room has chairs that I don't have to fight over. I'll sit in here, you know? So I do want to shout out like uh, friends of ours that have uh, booths there. Um, Cyber City Comics in Toronto. Daryl, we've been going the there goat. for since it opened. I think I was like 13 when it opened. So shout out to him. He's at Expo every year. Arguably one of the biggest tables at Fan Expo. And then my buddy, uh, JP, who I do know is an avid listener of this show. He has a art dealing booth, but not like custom art. It's like rare prints from like movies and TV shows and, you know, comics that you can get um, really rare prints from like specific artists called now your treasures. So if you're looking for rare prints of stuff like that, check them out. And but, if you want uh, another yeah. shout out, you can sponsor us. Yeah, he can sponsor us. <laughs> Give us each a really cool poster. I already asked him. He said no, but, um, yeah, it was just Jim's right. Like we don't get four days out of it and I'm not paying $50 to get a signature from somebody, or I'm not even attempting to try to get to the North building this year because it was my friend who did the Hobbit experience that they had there, which was like really expensive. It took him an hour to get from the North building to the South. Just walking, just walking across a bridge, literally going up an escalator. Well, it's more than a bridge. It's no, like you have to go up an escalator, go across the bridge, go down an escalator and down another escalator and then down another escalator. It's a whole thing in the convention center. Have you been yeah, to Fan Expo? It's a number of escalators. Yeah, have you been to Fan Expo? Have you been before? No, but I've been to the auto show at North and South Convention yeah. Center. Like, I know the route to get to both buildings. Yeah, it shouldn't take an hour. No, it definitely should not take an hour. But, like, I can understand if there's that many people there. Yeah. So, speaking of uh, friends at booths, did you guys run into Kingdom? I did. Uh, uh, I, I, I Just in passing, I didn't. I told him I would make it to his birth. B birth. <laughs> I'm going to make it to your birth, buddy. <laughs> Don't worry. When you're born, I'll be there. Um, no, I, I, I told him I was going to make it to his booth. I didn't really get a chance to. It's kind of hard with the kid to kind of go where you want to go, um, which is why I went on Saturday solo, But and she came with me Thursday and Sunday. But I ran into him in passing just in traffic, and I gave the man a big hug because uh, he is like a teddy bear. Um but it's good to see that you know he's still he's still there kicking it. I saw some of the boys taking po photos and they were there. Uh, Gabriel Fuerza, Fuerza was there. Uh, oh, so when Brent you said Dome. the boys, I thought you meant the cast of the no. Boys they were there though. Actually, they, they were there. Yeah, they were there. Well, I know that's why when you said the boys, I'm like okay. So. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was it was cool. But so many other things were going on down at the time that the whole area was just 
like super congested. The Jays were going on at the time, Dude, kind of. So I was on Saturday. I went to the X. Yeah. And I was in the same boat you guys were in, where it was yeah fan expo where you guys where you guys were. I was at the X down the street. Plus the Blue Jays were playing. Plus there was a kind concert of. at the ACC. I think it's like Twenty One Pilots or something. So Saturday was a mess. Oh, plus there's like some trucker convoy too. Just yeah. you know, to we walked get right me through it. Started on that. They blocked like our walking and driving exit, getting out of York and Bremner because that's where we park. We park at Real Sports usually because it's a little away from the convention center, like a three minute walk. So you avoid the exiting of the actual convention center parking and you can just go right down Lakeshore and then DVP, you're, you're golden. They fucking blocked that shit off with their stupid ass fucking concert that didn't make no sense because they're like, stop the lockdown. We're like, what fucking lockdown? Do you not see Fan Expo right now? Do you there's not more, see the J game? There's literally hundreds of thousands of people, thousands of people. <laughs> walking by them. And yeah, oh, it's just no mask. Like, yeah. there's, there's, there's nothing to complain about anymore, guys. It's over. Like, yeah. you Fucking it. pigeons. Dude, it's the end yeah. of Ferris Bueller. It's over. Go home. <laughs> Go, yeah. <laughs> but know? it's speaking of that Jays thing, and I yeah. don't know if we'll get into this now. No, share this now. Maybe, okay. Bruh, the lineup for people for the Jays game was from the Skydome oh. all the way down around up York. And why? And like and down because people sh- wanted a fucking bomber jacket i'm gonna share the Dude, picture I had right friends now. i had friends in that line so okay i think jim has a picture too yeah we took a picture right yeah. i think he's got a picture of it i got a message in the group chat at like i want to say 8 a.m and they're like yo i'm here and i'm just like what the, what the fuck are we talking about like where where are people today and they're like okay cool i'll be there in an hour or something and i'm like what are we talking about and <laughs> then i realized oh yeah it's the Blue Jays game, and there's a giveaway for a 92 bomber jacket. And people were there from 8 in the morning for the 3 o'clock game. Mm-hmm. We now saw listen. them. They lined up in front of us. We, we, they were there. Like, they were walked in front of us. The picture up, you can see, is the picture my brother took of just this, like, mass of people waiting for a jacket. That they'll never wear. That is going to be <laughs> no. like cheap quality, probably made by some three-year-old in Calcutta. And um, also, it'll be size extra reference. large. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you know that the typical dude who wears that is... Sp- okay, speaking of the amount of neck beards we saw this weekend. <laughs> dude. Okay. I'm. Don't get me wrong. I can be socially awkward sometimes, specifically around people I don't know. Like, if it's someone that I've never really met or talked to, I get really quiet. Like, I, I almost shut down where I'm just like, all right, cool. Okay, bye. And obviously, Jim's got a different opinion. And I know, Dustin, like, I'm I'm good with you because I've obviously talked to you a lot and whatever. But, man, so the social awkwardness of some of these dudes is absolutely hilarious. Like, don't know social cues of how to, like, speak to someone, specifically women who are dressed in characters costumes who we know can be a little risque as they, Dude, they have signs that literally say cosplay is not consent not which consent. to me and like humanity is doomed if we need to put up a yeah. sign that says cosplay is not consent this one dude though according to our buddy shane another shout out who's on the canadian wheelchair rugby team he told us a story about there was almost a big scrap because this dude he said he was pretty jacked 
was with his girlfriend and she was dressed up and this guy stopped and just started snapping pictures of her and he just turned around he's like hey give me your fucking phone and he's like you delete that shit right now you didn't ask that's right funny. and good on the guy because yeah. he's right but he stood there and watched it like essentially stood over this nerd and watched him delete the photos from his phone the thing too is like they're not they're not entirely like malicious Qu- no they they're know. not they're not even like quiet meek anymore they're just loud and weird now like we were riding yeah. down the escalator and these guys were yelling stuff and it was just the dumbest shit like it wasn't funny like it was just really dumb and we're like why are you saying this like nobody's responding to anything you're saying and you're just shouting you're just being it's not like it, it's not even obnoxious it's just irrelevant like like what are you doing in this like crowd it's not of even people situation. it's strictly attention grabbing like you want people to see you you're not doing something comedic or yeah. you're not doing it for the moment to kind of hey this is relevant or everyone will think this is funny you're like hey i want everyone to notice me i'm in my element pay attention to me and it's but, but we were lie. joking. We were joking about this lineup in this picture. It's still up. That dude. So imagine. So there's not. There aren't forty five thousand jackets. No, I think it was 15, only uh, the fifteen thousand. Yeah. Right. And the game so, sold out, so it would have been you know forty five thousand people. So imagine being <laughs> thirteen thousand and one. Yeah. In that lineup, you're like the dude. <laughs> you're the first right? dude. At the end of the jacket run, and you You're get just up like there, this? and suck her all out, and he's been waiting in line for like six hours for this fucking jacket for nothing. It's not as bad as a couple weeks ago, and I think I put it into the Discord, but we never talked about it because it and it didn't come up. But there was the Harry Styles concert on like yeah. a Monday and Tuesday night or something. The people lining and up. There were some dumb tickets. bitches lined up out there like ten o'clock at night. You have like tickets. Two days. No, they have tickets. That's what I'm saying. Yes. You could show but up. It's general admission floor. So they wanted to be like as close as physically possible to this man. For what? So they wanted to. I don't know, dude. But like for that's BTS, the... I would get it because that's a show. No, they're still, all shows. It's still, still, no, it's, it's, it's just somebody. Yeah. It's just somebody that you're not gonna be around tomorrow. Like it's just like they don't touch you. They're not hanging out with you. I guess, like I don't know. No, I, um, they want they want the sweat to drip in their mouth. That's why. I feel like that's a very uniquely female experience that we will never get. Like if we go to a concert, we go, we enjoy the concert, and cool. But when a woman goes to a concert, it's an experience. Specifically, specifically for like an act like this, we're talking Harry Styles, we're talking One Direction, Taylor. But Swift. even if you want Justin to go further Bieber. back, it's the same thing that they did with the Beatles. Same thing that they would have done with Elvis. So it's not a generational thing. It's always that's been true. Where, There's a heartthrob thing to it, right? Right, where women will scream at the top of their lungs when they go to these concerts, and I I don't get it. Like that doesn't seem like a normal human response to something. I don't know. You see those dudes at WrestleMania when the Hardys come back, or <laughs> yeah, but you're reacting to a moment in time, right? Like you're excited about dude one for the women. Thing every second is a moment. Every second is a moment at these shows, dude every second is a moment it's just it's nuts but dude i'm gonna tell you a quick story that i told a few people about this jacket experience so one time we used to work at uh, a grocery store back in the day and there was a guy who used to work the night shift sometimes um his name was will willie as we uh would call him 
and one day he uh, he was working day shift, and the the grocery manager went on vacation, and I guess the guy who sold like the Molson product came in, like the near beer, and he, and this guy Willie he wasn't all there, like he was a little slow, right? Um, challenged in some ways, and uh, you know, like fully capable and everything. He was just he wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. Uh, but the Molson guy came in and he goes, Hey man, if you order X amount, like, you know, that there's spiffs or, or benefits when you order in volume, right? Dustin, you know, working in those kinds of industries. So the yep. guy said, you order this much near beer, man, I'll get you this <laughs> Molson jacket. Right. So the guy ordered like six skids of near beer that like nobody Not drinks. Cases. Yeah. Skids. Yeah. Skids, uh, for this jacket. And when, the grocery manager comes back. He lost his mind on this dude because he ordered all this shit and approved it and got this stupid jacket. Long, long story long. At the end of the the whole thing, I guess he gets a grocery call out to carry the bags out, and he goes and he grabs the bags to do the carry out, and he carries it out into this lady's trunk. And there's a fucking dog that attacks him and rips the arm <laughs> off the jacket. Yes. <laughs> so this guy just orders. <laughs> Six skids of near beer for a one-armed Molson Molson jacket. I just remember the grocery manager. He's like, we'll be lucky to sell five cases of this a fucking year. You ordered six fucking skids? He's like, yeah, but I got this sick jacket, bud. <laughs> sick jacket. It's now partly with the dog. Yeah, the dog shit that out later for sure. But yeah, I don't know. How was your weekend there, though, Dustin? Um, I, I, like I said, I was in, stuck with that ridiculous Toronto traffic that was Saturday afternoon where it, it took me all, over two hours to get from Brampton to this, the X, which is, you know, if you're not from around here, it, that should be a 45 minute drive. And it took two and a half hours. Jeez. That's how like insane traffic was in the city on that particular day. Like I sat on Lakeshore Boulevard, like right underneath the Gardener, right by I guess that's like just after Reese and I guess I don't know, you know, right by the Rogers Center essentially, where you go under the Gardener, like you're on yeah. Lakeshore. I sat there at that light, probably thirty minutes, didn't move. Yeah, so did we. I actually made an illegal left turn <laughs> around the left turn lane when the light was a pass through green because no one was moving. And yeah. I'm like, you know, and I said to myself, if a cop can catch me in this traffic, I deserve the ticket because he's not going to catch there's, me. Yeah, there's so many people in pickup trucks who are just driving over the median and going around somewhere else. Like, they, it's just, it was brutal. Like, I had never been in that bad of a traffic jam before where you're just literally not moving for a half hour. And they, wanted, well, and they wanted to remove the gardener at one point. Think about that. Like, they, there were serious discussions about doing away with the gardener. Where would all these people go? It's, they still might. The worst part about it is, is the assholes that see a light and the counter's going down on the walk sign and they know it's going to be turning yellow to red soon. And so they gun it and then they get stuck in the middle of the intersection and then the advanced lefts can't go. The green straight throughs can't go when it turns. And so it essentially just locks everything up further. And I, I almost lost it. Like, I will say I probably have two and a half years, two years roughly of pen like no human contact so it's like all my anger and rage <laughs> with the public that generally just dissipates because it comes in small doses is now all coming at once and i yeah i'm surprised i didn't kick in a car door or something like that this weekend yeah it was 
I feel like, and Fan Expo sounds like it was the same situation as the X, where, you know, when I went to Disney World a couple, like a month ago, whatever, if you buy a ticket to Disney World, you have to then, like, take that ticket and make a reservation for one of the parks. Like, they don't just say, yeah, sure, come on in. Like, at some point, they're like, okay, Magic Kingdom's full, and no one else can come in today. I feel like Fan Expo and the X needed something like that, too, because both of those events seemed way oversold. So like there was times where I was like this, and you can't see me on camera if you're not watching on YouTube, but basically I'm shrugging my shoulders in right to my body. And like that is how tight I was up against other people at the X trying to walk through the midway. It was so packed. It was unbelievable. They stopped letting people in to Fan Expo. Like even if you had bought in the $400 VIP ticket package experience, if you showed up past 12 o'clock on the Saturday, you weren't getting in. Not in, they they told people you're waiting an hour or so until they can funnel people out. So like even if you had a scheduling paid for a package that was like um like my buddy's brother did, it was you know very expensive package to photo op with the hobbits, do the Q and A with them, you know do a bunch of stuff and shit like that. Um, if you had bought in that and you showed up late, they were like we don't care, you're not getting in. That's ridiculous. At that point, there should be a refund, right? Like, it's not their fault that it was oversold. No, exactly. And that's that's what comes part of the planning, too, because there was a point where everyone was trying to get out at some point. You know, it was like later in the day, probably about two, three hours before close, and people were trying to leave. And the security guard standing on the escalator and to control the flow of traffic on the bridge, he was stopping people. So only one of the escalator ups were allowed to go at once. So you had just backed up people all the way easily, you know, probably about 1,500, 2,000 people just trying to get on this escalator to get up and get out. So my wife being the brilliant one she is, she just walked around. She's like, I'm pregnant. And the guy's like, oh, we can walk you up the emergency exit stairs. So she had to do a couple flights of stairs, but she didn't have to stand with all those creeps. Wait, can I try my hand at a uh, transition here? Sure. Speaking of refunds. I guess what James is alluding to is that he wants a <laughs> refund on a ticket that he bought for the Blue Jays, or maybe he's a season ticket holder. No, and is zero. Now realizing I want that- I want a refund on my hopes. <laughs> That's what I want. I want a refund. <laughs> yeah, refund on my optimism. Right. So every week when we go into the planning stages of this podcast, we're always like, do we want to talk about the Blue Jays today? And we usually don't because there's such a roller coaster ride of a major league baseball season where it's the Jays will go on a bit of a run and then they'll suck again and they'll go on a bit of a run and then they'll suck again. And then like even today, right now, the Blue Jays are third in their division. They're 10 games over 500. If you look at the wild card, like they're still right there. They're in the last wild card spot. It's not as if they are on the outside looking into the playoffs. They have, you know, not a huge (laughs) lead on the Orioles right now, but I mean, they're ahead of the Orioles in the standings. That's all that matters. And they play the Orioles with the last series in the year. And yeah, that's a little concerning that they're going to play the Orioles in the last series of the year because they haven't had a whole lot of success against Baltimore recently. And and I guess what, the reason why we wanted to talk about them today, just because of the abysmal performance against the Angels this weekend, they had a bunch of momentum going in. They had won three of four against the Yankees and then swept the Red Sox. So three of four against the Yankees. They were in six New of York. seven. They were six of seven against Boston and, and the Yankees. 
Right. So three of four against the Yankees in New York and then went to Boston and then swept Boston in Boston. And which isn't like that big of a deal anymore because the Red Sox are dog shit this year. But then they come home against the Angels and you're thinking, okay, well, the Angels are horrendous. They were like 20 games below 500 when that season, that series started. And they got shut out 12 nothing on the Friday and they got shut out again 2 nothing the next day. And then they lost again on Sunday, eight to three. The Jays were outscored twenty-two to three over the course of three games yeah. against one of the worst teams in the American League. A team that's bajillion games under five hundred. Like, well, I was driving a little, a little closer now. They went <laughs> after three wins against the Blue Jays. I was driving home from Fan Expo on Sunday, listening to the post-game show uh, with Jeff Blair, and. He, dude, that guy pulls no punches, and I, I mad respect for Jeff Blair. He's just like, he said, he, off the top of the show, he goes, what a sorry-ass performance by this team. And that's what it was. Like, there were guys that, and I didn't watch the game, I watched the highlights, and I listened to kind of everyone's commentary. And I got to agree with Blair. You can kind of forgive the Otani game because Otani pitched the gem. And Otani is, and Otani is, is Shohei. He's one of the, enigmas and best players in the game okay you can forgive that you could make the argument that the late arrival the jays had on friday had a part to play in them not being ready for the game you could make the argument still good teams that's kind of unacceptable and it was also heisenberg pitching that day right who the fuck pitched yes who who pitched (laughs) yesterday (laughs) who pitched yesterday for the angels Uh, no idea nobody knows ralph wiggum the Angels don't know who pitched yesterday for the Angels. The, the fact, I've heard Teoscar Hernandez was horrendous. Yeah, so there, there was that one play where he could have broken up, a not even broken up, but like he could have easily made it to second base, where, but it, like he assumed the ground ball was going to first, so he was kind of just jogging out to second base, but then they realized like he's not even going to not even close to making the second base. Just went and threw it the second and got him out too. It was just like, what the, like if he just even remotely tried to run to that base, he would have been safe and it would have scored a run too. Cause there's a runner on third at the time. It was little things like that where the effort didn't seem like it was there. And that's what and Kevin that's Barker was saying. Yes. That's what Kevin Barker was saying. Good teams run the bases harder. They throw the balls hard. Like they, they make catches. They, you know, and these are things the Jays just didn't do. And I think I think it goes back to they need a veteran manager. And people can say that managers do little in baseball. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think managers set the tone, accountability, and, and mindset. And I don't think this team has the mindset to win. I don't I don't think I don't think they're winners yet. No, I, you know? I, I totally agree with you. And I don't know if it's just the manager. I think you're on the right track. I think that's, that's definitely something that may be needed. But I think it's also veteran leadership in the clubhouse, too. Like, Matt Chapman can't do it himself. And how many of those guys do you envision? After Sunday, sorry to cut you off, but how many of those guys do you envision tipping the table, the catering tables over and being like, what the fuck is wrong? I don't see, I don't see George Springer doing that. Like, I, I can't no. in my head. I don't see Guriel. I don't see Chapman. I don't see Bichette. I don't like, I just, I don't, I don't see any of those guys being the, maybe Manoa, maybe Manoa, but it can't be just him. Well, I don't right? even think it could be necessarily a pitcher either. 
right? With what, like, he could go out there and say, you know, and you probably don't want to do the same. I'm doing my job. What are you guys doing? You know, and kind of, and I saw a behind the scenes clip the other day from uh, soccer. I can't remember when it was or when he played, but it was, um, it was Ronaldo and he was just essentially ripping and everyone saying, I'm playing like shit. We're all playing like shit. We got to get our shit together. Like they don't have a guy in the room to, to do that. Like you said, you know, got to take the bat and just start cranking on shit in the, in the clubhouse because he's pissed off. Like no one's angry. Like I don't see any of these players angry, you know, and it's not necessarily a guy that's going to go out there and, you know, um, even to say like a veteran leadership, just show some emotions, show that you're pissed off about the situation. And none of them seem, they're just like, uh, you know, like, you know, post game, you know, let's dump the keg on people and things like that. Like, fuck off, man. Like when you become a team that consistently wins like 95 plus a hundred plus games a year, go ahead, pull that shit. But you have to earn the right to be able to the hijinks that they want to pull and display themselves as being, you know, a top tier team, and they haven't. Yeah, and the amount of times in professional baseball where you need to run hard is like maybe once a game. Like if you go, if you go one for three, and maybe like that one was a single into the gap, and you don't have to run hard there. Like we're talking about the one time that you made contact and it was a ground ball. Like realistically, we're asking you to run hard one time in three hours. Can you just do that? Like yeah. 90 feet. Keep 90 feet. And, and Can those... you sprint 90 feet for me, sir? <laughs> That's it. And the thing is, when I look at it now, and I was kind of bummed the Jays didn't do anything in the trade deadline of, of significance, when you look at the names and the guys that were moved, none of those guys are really... like. I, well, at the time, I thought, you know, Juan Soto left bat, young control. I don't think he makes this team better looking looking at the the gap in leadership i don't i understand that the team needs a left-hand bat to you know and we, hey we got bradley zimmer back uh i understand this team needs a left-hand bat but hey, zimmer will run hard at least he won't hit the ball but he'll run hard but there's point, tr- hey true um they what they really needed was just uh, like they they needed a vet like a joey Votto would have been good you know so that's what I was saying since the beginning of the year. And I had some baseball friends who were telling me I'm crazy for wanting Joey Votto because he can't hit anymore. But, like, he's a hometown guy. He's a left bat. He can play DH. He can play first base. Like, he's exactly what this team needed. But, you know, who who knows how that discussion went with the Reds. And I know there's a chance that he may not have wanted to move. He may just want to retire there and whatever. But I think Votto is a perfect guy for this team. Yeah, but it's just time, some... Though, Sorry? Maybe, maybe Atkins and... Um, Shapiro, Shapiro, sorry. Maybe they kind of saw this and they were like, why are we going to go out of our way and sacrifice futures if we don't see the future of this team right now as currently constituted? Right? Like or maybe they, they were like, our changes are going to be in the offseason with some of you guys and not our prospects. Yeah. And maybe you're right. Maybe they understood that what the team needed wasn't on the market. Right, like there, I can't even remember. I looking at the trade deadline. Who were the, who were the big vets that moved? Like Ben Attendi? I don't know that he's. He's not going to come here. No, but I, I don't think he's the the big vet that's gonna. It wouldn't have been. Yeah, it's not the piece they needed anyways. Right. No. I, right. I, yeah. 
So I don't, you know, this is like, this is like in hockey when you go out and get like the Ron Francis or when, you know, that's, this is the type of thing that the Jays needed to do. They needed that, that gritty grizzled vet who either this is their last chance or has been there before. And they, they, they don't have that guy. And well, that guy a, didn't a seem guy to be available. That, a guy that they badly need is a guy they're going to be playing this week, and his name is Marcus Stroman. Now listen, as you can hear, Maddie's like hitting his microphone as I made that transition. We're talking about a guy who would have said something, right? I don't think there's any disagreement. There can't be a disagreement that Marcus Stroman would not have put up with this. Hold on. He would not have put up with this. Would they have listened to him? I don't know. And coming from him, like I feel like in a lot of ways, he might have been tuned out by a lot of people because Stroman had a habit of running his mouth a lot. Had? Has a uh, habit of running his mouth a lot. But to be honest with you, I would much rather have Marcus Stroman on my team than not because Marcus Stroman is a competitor. Marcus Stroman's not going to be the type of guy who is like, half-assing it out there he's going to come to compete every day and so much so that we saw it in the playoffs when he played for the jays in that playoff run in 2015 2016 whatever year that was there was times where he's like let me bat if we need a bat i can go up there and bat if you need a pinch runner i'll go in and pinch run like he wanted to do everything he could to help the team win with whatever he brought to the table he's actually a pretty good hitter for a pitcher which is i mean not a thing anymore now that dh is universal but marcus stroman was a guy who would fight for his team and fight to win. Now, more often than not, he would like say something stupid and people like get on him about it. But I think unfairly so, because I feel like if there was another pitcher that did it, if he was like a more popular pitcher, the heat wouldn't be there. That's no, not true. Look at Trevor like, Bauer. Look at Trevor sorry. Bauer. I said that's not like true. Trevor, look at Trevor Bauer. But but no, but Strowman never was as dumb as Trevor Bauer. No, yeah. the issue is is. To a degree, yes, he's a decent pitcher. But what you're referencing is, you know, if a guy like Scherzer or whatever went out and said that, yeah, obviously people are going to be like, it's Max Scherzer. Dude can say whatever the fuck he wants. He's arguably one of the greatest pitchers in history. Strowman had had some good moments, but not enough to back up some of the shit that he said all the time. And for a dude who's like, I have a chip on my shoulder. Yeah, we get it. You have a chip on your shoulder. That's your motivation. Great. You don't need to go out there and fucking stroll Twitter looking for every mention of your name to jump on people because they disagree with you. Sometimes the right move, whether you're a competitor or not, a dude with fire is to shut your mouth and just play the game and prove people wrong on the field. Shut the fuck up. That's all he had to do, but he didn't. And then he fucking in free agency running his mouth about teams and shit like that whether he was going to be signed or was signed or whatever. Like, it's just so fucking childish shit. Like if he went out there and from time to time commented and said shit, I'd be like, yeah, okay, I get it. But it was just so often and so much. And every time, like the dude cannot handle criticism. And when you play professional sports, criticism is part of the gig and you may not agree with it or you may disagree. Like, you may disagree with the person consistently, or you may have an issue with the person, but at the same time, just say, you know what, if they're going to say that, fine, I'm going to go out there and prove them wrong. My motivation will be, I'm going to show you on the field or on the ice or on the court or the pitch or whatever, 
that what you're saying about me is bullshit. And then that's when I'm going to come out there and tell you F you. But he never did. And now he's a traveling statesman. The one thing, uh, the one thing I will say is that if they had the inclination to bring him back, this would have been the time because this is a new team. So he doesn't have... I don't think there's anybody on here that he would have had any sort of... Maybe Pete Walker. Was he around? Um, maybe Guriel, but I, that's probably it. Oh, right? Like, I don't know that there's any lasting negative energy unless it's, there's any between him and the fans maybe that that were burned by some of it but i mean the guy listen the guy also loves this city has yes, a tattoo of the city that. you know has a tattoo of the city on his his abdomen i think on his side um so you know i don't listen i'm torn on maturity from him Listen, I'm torn. I have a, I had a Strowman jersey. Uh, I was all in on the guy. Um, and I felt a little bit burned, though, too. But I don't know. He'll be around pitching. He's going to pitch at the Rogers Center. So we'll see what kind of reception he gets. I actually think he's going to get a fond reception. I think he will, too. And like I said, I would be fully on board if he was more mature and just saying, yeah, like I see and how but I was. And sometimes it's not conducive to whatever. Do we celebrate do we celebrate other guys like Joe Kelly, right? Joe Kelly is a is a mouthpiece, right? Do we celebrate Joe Kelly uh, you know for like is what's the difference? Or like I wasn't a fan, but uh, people were a fan of John Rocker. I wouldn't say Joe Kelly was overly consistent either. He was a consistent like you know no, I'm saying consistency in the amount that he shit talks. It's not every day. No, oh. I was, oh, I see what you're saying. But yeah, no, Joe Kelly had like a couple days in the sun where he, you know, chirped the Astros. Or, Astros. Yeah. yeah. Which is different. Like these are guys that the whole league hates. And he's just like, I know the whole league hates you. I'm a, you know, I'm a throw high heat at your head. What about a Joe? Okay. Right? So what about uh, Josh Donaldson? I think well, his diff- act wore a little thin too. Yeah, that's a little different situation as well because of the whole, you know, alleged racist comments too, right? Yeah, so, true. Tim Anderson, so. But with Strowman, I think, like I said, is if he didn't run his mouth as much, not as big of an issue. It's just the fact that it was so much and so often. And as Dustin had said earlier, I think guys just get sick of it on the team. And they're like, just shut up, man. And that's why they would tune him out. And yeah. They would probably just be like, we don't want to hear your shit and get asked about it after. I think the other piece too is you like when you think about it and putting like <clears throat> those guys against like uh, Joe Kelly or whatever against Stroman, a lot of that stuff, there's whether it was right or not, there's some level of justification. Sometimes Stroman stuff came out of nowhere. Like he would just he would just yeah. say shit and you're like, what are you angry about? Like nobody's talking about you, dude. Like it's okay. You know, just chill. And uh I just always thought of him as this guy that had this so much potential that just never never got to where he could have been. And I I I know he battled a lot of injury early on, but I don't know. I kinda liked him here and I think I would have been open to a return, but yeah, I would have liked to see him tone down the the volume a bit. Well, someone else that, you know, originally was in Toronto and then everyone loved him. And then by the end of it, everyone hated him, has called it a career. And that is Mike Babcock. For coaching. 
Well, yes. I, I don't imagine Mike Babcock is going to be calling a career in his playing days. I think those are long over. No, well, I just but... meant like maybe front office position, assistant sure. or special advisor or something like Go that. Go back to the media. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of openings for Mike Babcock, but it sounds as though he is calling it a career in terms of coaching. And I think he'll always be best known as his time as the head coach of the Detroit Red Wings. And I mean, he won a Stanley Cup there and he was also the head coach of Team Canada when they won the uh, Olympic gold medal in Vancouver in 2010, which is crazy to think about. That was 12 years ago. And then Sochi four years later. Did, did he, he win? Yeah, he won the second one there too. Did he win a cup with the Ducks too? No, he cup final. Right. Yeah, Stanley Cup final. They lost to the <clears throat> Devils the first year he was there. Uh, and then, of course, as we know locally, he was then brought in to be the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I mean, not a great start. And he kind of fell into that trap of Maple Leafs head coaches, where you lose in the first round, and eventually, I guess. Even as someone, so at that point when Mike Babcock was brought in with the Olympic gold medals, with the Stanley Cup, and everyone talked about this Detroit Red Wings team, like they were the blueprint of how to play hockey. Like everyone was like, Mike Babcock is like the greatest coach in the world, and the Maple Leafs just made the biggest offseason signing by bringing in Mike Babcock. And then, you know, first round exit against Washington, first round exit against Boston, first round exit against Boston, and then he was let go the next season after starting two and nine. What I know, there's been a lot of criticism to Mike Babcock as well. I guess we can put it that way. Uh, apparently, he didn't get along with Mitch Marner very well, and there were some, you know, interesting coaching decisions made there. And we can't forget the whole situation with Jason Spezza, who signed a one-year deal to play in his hometown team, and they got benched his, you know, the first game of the season when all his family was in the crowd. It's stuff like that where that those are things that I remember of Mike Babcock, but I feel like I'm dismissing his whole resume. Like how good of a coach was Mike Babcock? I don't know that look look at the teams Mike Babcock coached. Yeah, if you coach a team with Nick Lidstrom, you're gonna be a good coach. You know, yeah, what I, mean? I think that's fair. Like that Pavel team... Datsuk, Nick Lidstrom, Johan Franzen, Henrik Zetterberg. Like those teams were, Aaron Hossa. yeah, those teams were good teams. And if you talk to a lot of the players on those teams, they didn't like Mike Babcock. Johan Franzen hates Mike Babcock. Hey, and he had career years there under Mike. Hates him. The well, guy benched Mike Medano before his one thousand was it one thousandth game or one thousandth point or whatever. So. Okay, those things are inexcusable. But is that a good thing though? That you're not necessarily like best friends with your head coach, like you. You need someone to motivate you. Zetterberg did say, as much as he and Babcock butted heads, he was the coach they needed. Right? I mean, it's exactly what we're talking about with the Blue Jays right now, isn't it? (laughs) No, because I think the game passed Mike by, or at least how the people in the game evolved. I don't think the players are of the same ilk that they were in the mid 2000s Detroit. I don't think the players are of the same ilk as those Ducks teams. I don't think I, I just I don't think they're carved the same, you know, from a mental and emotional standpoint. And I know that sounds kind of like pussyish, but it's true. I don't you know, you look at look at Mike Commodore hates Mike Babcock as well. Um you know, there's 
at some level you have to respect your coach but and but doing things like benching jason spezza on opening night and doing oh, things like like mike the mike medano benching who's like the greatest american player not named austin matthews of all time yet uh <laughs> yeah I, yeah i think that's a topic for another day i think you're right though i think matthews is on a pace to become the greatest american born hockey player of all time like i don't know who's number one right now if that's mike Medano, if that's brett hall or whatever but anyways go on well brett hall Maybe was Patty born Kane. in canada but that's okay um Med- well, I mean, like, brett, well brett hall representing the united states internationally that's why i put his name in the list the the Medano thing i think hurt a lot of people and and lost a lot for him especially in a world a player's world i think you look at what coaches went out of their way to do for keith yandel what coaches went out of their way to do for phil kessel um you know and look at the coach in dallas last year who that that rookie i forget like who was the coach he's coaching winnipeg now right no i thought it was um what's his name he wasn't a rookie coach but i forget what his name is but everyone's looking it up. The guy, um, the guy had a got call up, and then the kid sold a bunch of tickets for his family, and then he pulled him out of the lineup just before the game. Like that's the kind of stuff that the the other players in the room like they they see that obviously and they get that and they empathize with the player. They're not going to empathize with the coach. Like no player in that room was like. Good on Mike Babcock for sitting Mike Medano one game shy of a thousand or whatever it was. Or Spets on his homecoming with his home team playing against his original team. Like maybe 20 years ago, you play tough and be like, I'm the boss. Nah, buddy. Nah. Those guys make triple what you make. You're not the boss. <laughs> you know, you're not. And, and in these day and age, your ass is first to go before anyone gets traded. So there has to be a mutual level of respect now in those rooms that I don't think necessarily had to exist even as early as the late 90s, early 2000s. I think it's it's changed as hockey has grown and become a business and it gets closer, dare I say, and in fear of the NBA where players start with these ridiculous baby-like demands. Um, there has to be a mutual level of, of understanding and respect. I mean, look at Kevin Durant and Steve Nash, right? Or even Kyrie Irving and Steve Nash. Did you hear what Kyrie said about Steve Nash? Or what he said to him? I did not, actually. Kyrie said, apparently the heat between Steve Nash and Kyrie Irving stemmed from Kyrie going to Steve Nash and saying, you need to give those two MVPs back to Kobe because you don't deserve them. That's your coach, dude. (laughs) You know? It sounds like... I know we're just way off topic, but it sounds like Steve Nash does not have that room, and which is unfortunate because I, I want to see Steve succeed. I don't but it comes. Sure about what I'm Nash getting at is it comes from both sides, and right. especially in today's sports environment, it comes from both sides. And I think Mike's demeanor didn't didn't earn. Like I think no matter who you are and what you've done, every room you move into, you have to earn the respect of the players. And he just does dumb shit that loses the respect of the players. Yeah, I mean, I think so, but I also think that for the time, he was what this team needed. I think coming out of, you know, the Brian Burke era, Dave Nones, and then all of that shit, I think it was 
the right call to have him in there to kind of right the ship, bring some stability and, you know, a culture shift for that team. And I think he did early on with him and Lou. Um, and again, a transition period as these players come into their own and start taking ownership of that team. Obviously, the dynamic shifts and, you know, if the team was successful, obviously they just keep it going. But, you know, if there's a first sign of, I guess, waves in the water, you know, get ahead of it and bring someone in that they think the players will kind of adapt to a little better. And I think they did. Um, did anyone think he was going to be the long-term guy here? No. I mean, the least Even did. He, I mean, do you really think they saw him here for 10 years? No, I, but they saw him I, there I think for... So. 100%, 100%. I think what they, was the, they thought Mike the Babcock contract was, was eight years, guy. right? What was the contract? Eight so years? I don't remember how... I don't remember how many years it was, but it was the most any coach is being paid ever in history. Of the I think NHL. it was like I think it was like five or five or six years, eight million a year. Right. So like they obviously envisioned him being here for a while. Um, I mean, I mean, not so much recently. Look at look at how I look at a guy like Barry Trotz, right? Oh, it was Rick Bonus, by the way, in Dallas. Yeah. Thank you. I uh, look at a guy like Barry Trotz, forever in Nashville, won a cup in, in Washington. They just didn't want to pay him. Don't know why he left the Islanders. Nobody understands why he left the Islanders. Um, you know, that's a guy where I think earns the respect of, of both players and, and, you know, it goes both ways. Another guy like that, I think, is, is Boos, Boos, <laughs> Boos, Boosie. Bruce, Boos, Boos, Boudreau. Um, you know, just a guy that was able to jump in there and turn the team around. And for all intents and purposes, the team seems to, to dig him. Um, you know, I, I think those are today's type coaches. Uh, I don't know. I just, I don't think Babcock is, is cut for the way the game has evolved in the dressing room. Probably not. Yeah, I, I can believe that. And uh, one of the guys Mike Babcock coached during his time during the Toronto Maple Leafs was Nazem Kadri. And man, how can you not love this guy? I know there was, there was criticism to Kadri when he played in the Maple Leafs and he consist consistently got suspended when the Leafs needed him the most. But what he's done since leaving the Maple Leafs, winning a Stanley Cup with the Avalanche, and now signing a, a new deal with the Calgary Flames for very long term. And the story here was him returning to London, Ontario and going to a mosque to, you know, celebrate the Stanley Cup victory. And just what that does for a generation of people who would grow up not knowing if they're ever allowed to play hockey for him to bring the Stanley Cup there and to prove that you can do this if you want to. That's a pretty cool thing to do. And... I kind of wish he was a Maple Leaf when he did it. And I still think to this day, the Maple Leafs are looking for a new Nazem Kadri. I just saw a spider fly right down to my face. Um, <laughs> ever, since, yeah, ever since he has left, I feel like they have consistently been looking for the next Nazem Kadri. And I don't think they're ever going to find one, to be honest. This was the guy that they had that should have been here to win the cup. But you know, I'm glad that he had it. And I'm glad he had this moment at, in London as well. Yeah, I mean, if you, 
I don't think, even from the way you presented it, the fact that he got to go to a mosque with the cup and maybe inspire, like you said, a, a generation or generations of kids who think hockey is not necessarily for me. Like it can be for them. And not only can it be for them, they can succeed and win. That's, that's big. But for even for the city of London, where, you know, an entire family was run down, you know, to have somebody come back with the Stanley Cup and say, like, I, like, that's, we were all honest, like, hockey, traditionally a white dude sport, right? So for, or, or like, majority, to have somebody uh, of, like, Muslim faith go and have the symbol of success of that sport and go back into that city where somebody did that, that's pretty powerful to me, man. Like, that's pretty cool. Um, and yeah, dude, I, I'm with you, man. I really, I, I was a big Naz fan. When he got kicked out, I was more pissed at Naz than I was done with him. I was just more like, come on, man. You know, like your kid, like almost, your kid almost disappointed. Like we need you. Like yeah. you can't be, like, doing you it. know, the situation and what's on the line, especially yeah. for this team. Like, come on, you clean that shit up kind of thing. But you're right. I don't know. Maybe Matthew Nyes is, is a guy that's going to be somewhat similar in terms of the the grit factor. I, I mean, I, I don't know that we've had an agitator, though. Maybe Michael Bunting a little bit. I don't know. You know, but they're still like he's he still didn't. Bunting isn't as like Kadri was aggressive, man. And that was the thing. Uh, he was he was a little buzzsaw all over the ice and could score timely goals had beautiful hands um george costanza ask hands if you will uh they were so beautiful uh Gotta stay away from those irons though right <laughs> but uh keep the oven mitts on uh, but he's uh yeah, it's it's a bummer that he didn't do it here. To be fair, I don't think if he was here that he would have done it. So, uh, yeah, Cal, hey man, dude, he's got a cup. Look look at the guy's career. Played for the Leafs, drafted in the first round, got a cup, signed a big cup. There's nothing more for him to do. In At 31 years old too. Signs a big deal, getting paid. Got his played for an original six team. Like there's nothing more. He's. There's nothing more for that man to achieve. So good on him. Yeah. yeah. Like, and that was, a, that was a Brian Burke pick as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I remember that draft. They the Brian Murray. was just uh, just behind them by a spot. And Brian Burke walks up to him. Um, it was Brian, Brian Murray, Murray at the time, wasn't it? Yeah. And he says to him, you know, he's like, oh, what are you looking at? He's like, Kadri, that's the guy? He's like, yeah, that's the guy we want. He's like, yeah, well, we're going to take him. <laughs> and that's one of the best clips of just another one GM to another just being like, well, I don't give a shit what you want. <laughs> right. Do you but think, do you think I on that note, on that note, do you think Brian Burke, if he had more runway here would have made it work? No, I think he was in an impossible position where he inherited nothing essentially. Right. Like he was building from scratch. Yeah. And he made some missteps along the way. Like the Mike Commissaric thing, I think will always be like <laughs> around his neck. And they're giving I mean, up and, for Phil Kessel. And exactly. And that's our next topic of conversation. We might as well move there now. Like, and the Phil Kessel deal, the, the two first round picks going to Boston for Phil Kessel was 
another thing that he will always be linked to. And every one of us at the time, I think, were upset about it. And Brian had his reasons, which didn't make sense. He could have just signed an offer sheet and paid them less. But nevertheless, he felt like he didn't want to go the offer sheet route and make a trade to acquire Kessel for more of a price than he would have paid in an offer sheet. But in any event, Phil Kessel became one of the best goal scorers in our generation for the Toronto Maple Leafs. To give credit to Phil, um, Phil was never going to be a a number one star on a successful team. Like he was number one star in the Maple Leafs by default. Like when he has like Jason Blake skating beside him, like at that point you have to be the best player on the team. But Phil was never, never really going to be the perennial player in the NHL. And he didn't have the personality to be a superstar anyways. He was a very meek and uh, reserved kind of guy. Now there's anything wrong with that, but like he never really felt like he had the the confidence in himself to be a star that he that he needed to be for the Maple Leafs to build around him. And you know Kessel then bounced around the league. He went to Pittsburgh, won a couple cups. <laughs> like Phil Kessel had a very successful NHL career. But I think in that world in the the Maple Leafs in Brian Burke's Maple Leafs where the cornerstones were Phil and it was all the Americans that he was bringing in. It just wasn't working there in that context. But when you move Phil out as a complimentary piece to Sidney Crosby and to Evgeny Malkin, like all of a sudden he's playing exactly the type of role that you'd want him to play. And the reason why we're talking about him today is because he finally signed a new contract that he is going to play this year. There was some speculation that he might not play at all. He's 34 years old now and you know, <laughs> the clock was ticking and no one had signed him yet, but he did sign a one and a half million dollar deal with the Vegas Golden Knights. And honestly, it's not a bad fit for him. And th- if this is it for him and this is his one last year, I think this is a good spot. Yeah, like I think the one thing that was always talked about if, as Kessel and the issue was not so much with him. It was how they cast him. And I think that was the exactly. consensus around the team and, you know, media and the league and things like that was if Kessel is your secondary guy, you're in a very good position. That's exactly what you would want him to be. He's not your face of the team, face of a franchise, or your top player that you throw out in front of the camera after a tough loss, or the guy that essentially would be the first one you hand the cup to. Do you know what I mean? That he was the best kind of tertiary, or not tertiary, the best complementary piece to a team that you would have, Um, which we saw in Pittsburgh. That playoff, that first cup run, he was borderline consummate material um, that they, well, not the first one, but their second one, the first one with him. He was... Arguably, concept dude was putting up points like nobody's business for those what's, first couple rounds. What's funny if you look at those? So yeah, those rounds like he played he in the first year, twenty four games, twenty two points. Uh, the next year was twenty five games. The playoffs, this is uh, twenty three points. Yeah, those He's, two seasons in Pittsburgh were like his only two seasons where he was a plus. <laughs> like yeah. he always played with like the Maple Leafs. He played for Arizona. He's a career minus one forty eight. <laughs> but again, that's the whole miscasting thing. If you see where he's been, you know when he's cast as the primary go to player, yeah, he's going to be a minus. Really, he's just the best. You throw him on the half wall or open ice with guys that can get him to the puck. He's great. Honestly, in Vegas, 
maybe the first shot power play option or second shot behind Jack Eichel. You know, he's going to be, you know, getting a lot of first, second power play minutes. I, I think it's great for Vegas. I'm just curious where Vegas gets all this money all the time. Well, I know where the, the money actually comes in, but to afford the team and the salary cap and how they fit it all in, that baffles me. Well, I mean, um, they're currently $8 million over the salary cap. So Yeah, they're at their 10% allowance over the cap in the offseason. So yeah. seeing how they trim that down, someone's definitely going to go injured again um, to start the season. But yeah, no, like I I liked Castle when he was here. I liked what he he provided something that the team didn't have, which was scoring in a absolutely lethal shot but i think it's unfair to him some of the hate that he got because the team put him in that position i i would say that phil had phil 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 had phil phil ever uh committed to the game the way some other players do he could have been the best player in the world and but he's just not that kind of guy right like you guys said he's just not that kind of guy um i was really close when i called la vegas isn't too far from la so when we call their nhl free agent signings i should get a half a point uh for that for being that close in proximity i've i stopped looking at that list just because maddie crushed us in like the oh, okay. first day well, so whatever like, i don't care anymore i was like it's close to vegas go but fuck yourself what did he sign for 1.5 castle is one year 1.5 when I look at the, and not to always bring it back to the Maple Leafs, but we are a Toronto podcast. Um, when I look at the makeup of the Toronto Maple Leafs, he's what the second line needs, needs. right? Like, had, if they had signed him for that money, as a second, like, hey, that a second line of Nylander, Kessel, and Tavares would be unreal. Uh, instead, we have given Pierre Engvall two point seven five million dollars or something something like and that pure angle is your hope for the second line right now because you know what he said and i quote i believe i can score 20. <laughs> <laughs> he's aiming high yeah shoot for the stars boys i'm sorry, the moon i guess yeah I, I, i'm sorry if you're playing with p- potentially or projected to get some minutes with Tavares and Nylander, I want to see 60 be points. An undershot. Yeah, I want to see 60 points, right? Yeah, like, I, I want to see 25 and 35 from you. But, you know, minimum, minimum. But, but that is that is the the type of signing. And like, listen, we all know Phil would probably not come back here. 95 percent no. chance he comes back here, right? But uh, maybe not. I think his girlfriend's from here. But the, uh, it's just like that's the that's the signing, you know, the the one and a half million for a guy that can play your second line. Instead, we hand out these enormous contracts for fourth liners, and I don't, you know, in, in, the, in the world of pl- plug and play for Kyle Dubis, like he's trying to fit s- square pegs into circle holes, and it's just. I think this is an example of, of some a team finding the right plug-and-play piece for them, and we just, again, would rather pay our mediocre guys more than mediocre money. So I honestly had this thought the other day when I was driving back, oddly enough, again, from Fan Expo. 
the signings like Pierre Engvall are going to be what sinks Kyle Dubas. In my honest opinion, people think they're these really suave, you know, savant level signings. But I think overestimating these guys and giving them the money that he did, the guys like Engvall, Austin Matthews is worth every penny. You're, you don't have a problem with that contract. I mean, you could argue Marner's worth every penny. You don't argue with that contract. The ones you worry about are the Tavares for the length and also the sheer dollars. And the, you know, fourth level, like you said, and tertiary signings of guys like Pierre Engvall getting any more than 1.2 million was stupid. Or, you know, Justin Hall getting 2.5 million. Those are the signings that are going to sink this dude as the GM of this team. It's not going to be the big ticket ones. I'm leaving Sandine. I get your point. Well, and leaving Sandine out to dry because of it. Yeah. The only right? way I see Sandine working, why he hasn't signed an offer sheet or why he hasn't been dealt, is they've said to him, like, we're going to get you done. We're going to sign you. We just have to move some money out. And he's probably like, okay. Or he wants a better position on the team. Like, I, I think Sandine probably wants to be a top four guy, and he's not going to be on this team the way it's currently made up, right? Stay healthy. Stay healthy, play consistently, and you will be. Like, this is your first full season with this team. You can't demand that coming out of, like, your first entry-level contract where you're barely healthy. I mean, as much as you may have confidence in your abilities and what you can do, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. I mean, optimal D pairings for this team is Riley Brody, Muzzin, Sandine, Geo Geo Lilligren. Like yeah. to me, that's that's the optimal pairings at the moment. I would well, still it's like optimal if Sandine can play on the right side. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure he can. You know I mean, I'm like, sure he can. I mean, I'm sure he can. And I, but you know how it is where there's defensemen who like a particular side or they're better on the left side versus the right side. But I'm just saying, like, if you are taking out Hall, he's one of the only guys on the team who is listed right, like on paper, right side defenseman. Yeah. No, I hear you, and I, I know everyone. Val- oh, but but Hall's right-handed. He's also slow as fuck, <laughs> and for a big dude, does absolutely nothing. Right. So, I mean, that where are we really? We really anchoring our our thing. But he's right-handed. <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. Right. Like that's, you know, to me, if you're an NHL defenseman and you can't play your offside, then you're not an NHL defenseman. I I just I don't I don't understand how like you should be good enough to play both sides like your brain can't figure that out at a professional level no i understand mm. yeah to a degree now uh hilariously this is a, a decent transition because uh our next topic i was going to make fun of the nhl network because they somehow found a way to talk nothing about the maple leafs during uh one of their shows and that's what we just did for the past five minutes on the topic of Phil Kessel ended up talking about what the Maple Leafs are going to do with Sandine and uh, Justin Hall and uh, Kyle Dubas and whether this is the sword he's going to die on. But the, the reason I'm bringing this up, there's a Twitter account called like Toronto Maple, Toronto Maple Leaf fan or some bullshit like that. Like it's the most like generic Leafs fan uh, Twitter account, but it made me laugh this morning. So I guess I'll give him a, a bit of a credit. It's a TML fan in van. I guess he lives in his van. Oh, I follow that guy. Okay. Well, 
this particular person uh, retweeted it's a, a funny segment account. from NHL Network. Yeah. Say it again? He's a funny guy. He's a good follow. Yeah, okay. it made me laugh this morning. So he, uh, they retweeted a segment from NHL Network where they spent an entire segment talking about what the Maple Leafs are going to do with Michael Bunting next season. And the comment they left on this tweet was, what about the Dallas Stars? And I want to pose that to you guys as well, because this is a great point where they're, the NHL network on this segment was so concerned about what the Maple Leafs are going to do with their cap situation with Michael Bunting. Whereas if you look at the Dallas Stars right now, who have plenty of cap space, but at the same time, Jason Robertson, no contract yet. And he's only the guy who scored 40-something goals for them last year. And then Jake Oettinger, who is their starting goaltender, as far as I understand. Um, I, I, I can't see them using Scott Wedgwood as their starting goaltender next year. Currently, no contract. And the NHL season, at least preseason, starts less than a month from now. So we've been talking about Sandine and how the Leafs haven't gotten that done yet. Whereas the Dallas Stars have yet to sign their number one goaltender and arguably their best offensive player, where uh, Robertson scored 41 goals, 38 assists for 79 points in 74 games last year. They're fucked. <laughs> I don't, I don't honestly, I don't know what they're doing. Uh, I mean, there were even rumors. And I, I mean, what are rumors? In, Especially in hockey. Well, yeah, in today's age of social media, somebody puts out an idea and it becomes a rumor, right? They were like that Jake Ottinger could get traded. And I'm like, what the fuck do you mean Jake Ottinger could get traded? The guy was nearly Vesna caliber for them last year. And he's like, what, 22? And you want to you want to trade this man? Like it. I don't I don't I don't know what's holding them up. I don't. Listen, and it's funny, like the the league, the media surrounding the league loves to pick on the Leafs for their cap situation. Loves to pick on the Leafs for their, but it, it's because it's 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 a traffic driver, right? The, like you said, the Vegas Golden Knights are in the exact same position, if not worse. If you There's look much at worse. if you look at the cap like crunch, the teams who are like most cap strapped, the Leafs aren't even in the top five, I think. Um, so. You know, when you see things like this in Dallas, you know, like you said, it would be the equivalent of Austin Matthews and if we had a bona fide number one. <laughs> right, if the Leafs had a starting goaltender. <laughs> uh, that was an RFA and they still weren't signed. Um, but we we haven't seen that yet. So I don't... And like J Jason Robinson, like don't... He it's not he was run, like runner up for Calder. I think he was like serious consideration for Calder behind Kaprizov. So it's not like the guy is a again young, no slouch. These are your faces of the franchise potentially for the next decade, and you're just sitting on <laughs> on these guys. They're both, they're both 23 years old. Yeah, and the Stars still have like 10.5 million dollars in cap space. With well, that's what he was saying. Signed. Right, but you figure between both of them, they're going to get. You know, even if Odinger takes six, like Robertson is going to get at least six, right? So they're right, going to be over the cap. Like they can obviously spend over the cap right now and they'll have to come back down later. But the point is, I don't know if they are okay with spending to the cap. We also have to consider that. Like there are caps, but 
But then there's budgets, right? And where does Dallas fall in that equation? Are they a cap spending team or are they a team that is trying to reach, you know, 75 million or 76 million, right? I would say for a team who just went to the cup final, you know, a couple years ago, you would think they would be a cap team. And not when not when you're playing also, hockey they, in listen, Dallas, Texas. They also Actually, got Dallas some, games are fun, man. They also I'm not got some, not fun, but I'm just saying it's not apples to apples when you think of it, other no, major it, markets, right? It's not like New York Rangers or no, you know not the Blackhawks. It's not the Boston Bruins. Like this is or, this is a team that is playing hockey when it's 104 degrees outside. To be honest, the, if you look the, the you look at Dallas, they've done a really good job of not being terrible and retooling and being competitive from when they were very competitive. So the problem I think now is pieces that made them competitive back in the day are now getting really close to being dead weight on that team. Tyler Sagan, not the highest performer on that team anymore uh, and has trouble staying healthy. Jamie Benn, not the highest performer on that team anymore. Uh, and these guys get paid dollars. So They get paid a lot of dollars. And it's, it's interesting because like a guy like that you would fit the description of what you're saying is someone like Joe Pavelski, but Pavelski's been playing great. And he's only making five and a half. Like he's the perfect situation for them right now. Right. You yeah. know? And Mason Marchman's making 4.5 for them. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't it be nice if the Maple Leafs had Mason Marchman? Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice? That'd wouldn't be it be nice? Uh, but you remember what they traded for Mason Marshman? Yeah, our solution yeah. to all of our lineup problems, Dennis Mulgan, who's coming back from Europe. Thank you, thank you for doing us a favor, Dennis Mulgan, coming back from Europe to play for this team. But yeah, I think maybe that's part of the Dallas situation is they're looking at, like, you're right, if Andre gets five and a half, which I think he's probably due close to that, at um, least. You know, um, I would say Robertson looking at a 41 goal scorer, that's seven and a half, eight. Well, the, the argument his age? that Dallas is probably making for Robertson is you had one season of 41 goals, but your previous two or three weren't that. But he's a rookie. So, right. So they're probably saying, we don't know if that's what you're going to be for the next seven years or if this was a one off. You know, we'll reward you for the 41 we'll give you like four and a half, five, and he'll probably say... <laughs> and he'll laugh and he'll say, I'll go to arbitration, and arbitrator will give you six. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I, I Honestly, if you went to arbitration, I wouldn't be surprised if it's five and a half. Looking at the comparable contracts of other other players coming out of, of that kind of performance, look at Kaprizov. I think Kaprizov is a good example. He got eight and a half, nine. So I don't, I don't foresee him getting a penny under seven. Um, but you're like it's, it's the dead weight piece. I think they got to find suitors for for one of Sagan or Ben. Um, and I think they hope that a guy like Marchment, the the up and coming Jason Robertson, like these guys come in and they they help fill some of that void. Um, but yeah, like you, you think about it, like a lot of cap space, like ten and a half sounds like a lot of space until you're you gotta pay two six million dollar at least guys, right? Yeah, ten million dollars goes away really quickly. I'm trying to see who like who on this team makes more than they probably should. 
Luke Glendening makes 1.5. Why the hell is he making 1.5 on this team? Right, but even if you save yourself 1.5 million dollars, it probably doesn't get you any closer to signing. It's the Sagan. It's the Sagan and Robert Ben Sagan. problem. It's the. It, that's well, what it is. Yeah, it's also guys like you're paying Ryan Suter 3.6 million dollars. That's a tough deal. Well, I imagine it's that like. Does, is Minnesota retaining some of that? Because I feel like he signed for way more money. Than no, no, no. Minnesota bought, bought him out. out. Oh, is that what it was? Okay. And then, so, but then there's also the issue of John Klimberg isn't on this team right now either. At this point, he's just gone. So, I mean, if they want to keep him, he's going to want $7 million. No, Klimberg signed, didn't he? Ducks. Did he sign? Yeah. But he, yeah, okay, that, was that, the first, that was the first day, wasn't it? No, it was like a month ago. Day. It was like no? a few days in. I'm thinking. No, he like, was late. Klimberg was a casualty of their cap situation for sure. Well, yeah, and he wanted, he kind of wanted out at the trade deadline and they didn't trade him because I think he knew the right, like you could, listen, players or at least their agents could do math and they can see like, oh, Robertson's up, Ottinger's up. I'm up <laughs> like I'm not I'm I'm third on that list like you think about it Andre Robertson Klingberg rank them in order of importance right mm-hmm. so that guy saw the writing on the wall but li- listen you get rid of one of Sagan or Ben and I say get rid of like it's terrible you get you move one of them and if I'm I'm looking at teams I don't even know who, who who would be a fit for those guys? But one of them, one of them could definitely go. Toronto could use a guy like Ben. Oh, I would love a Jamie Ben here. Are you kidding me? How much does he make? Nine point six. <laughs> like nine and change. Jesus Christ! Yeah, way too much. <laughs> for how many more years? This year, and next year. No, it's like two more years. And what did he? What were his stats sure. last year? How many games played? I think he was hurt. Not good. Not, not great. Enough. Yeah. Not, not $9.6 million worth. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, you're paying... I'm pulling, you're paying, I'm pulling it up again. I closed it already. Yeah, but you're yeah, paying Nylander 6.9 to get more production than Jamie Ben. Granted, Jamie Ben will beat the fuck out of somebody. <laughs> That's also true. Jamie so, Ben's a tough motherfucker. Uh, Jamie Ben is under contract for three more seasons. Three more. 9.5 per. Uh, last season, if you're looking at points, he played all 82 games, so he wasn't hurt. But 18 goals, 26, 28 assists, uh, 46 total points, a minus 13. For $9.5 million. For $9.5 million. So all you motherfuckers and what who was are Sagan? upset with <laughs> all you guys who are upset with William Nylander not getting a puck in the corner, okay? Keep these numbers in mind for Jamie Benn, who's making $9.5 million to score 48, excuse me, 46 points. Yeah. I will, because he'll he also might, run you through the glass. Yeah. He'll run your face into he a does post. Have, he does he have intangibles. For $9.5 million, though. No. He'll go get a puck. But he does for have intangibles. I mean, Kyle Clifford will get you that for $700,000. No, yeah, yeah, but right. Ben has the hands to get somebody else the puck when he does it. Wayne Simmons will get you that for $900,000. Nah, Wayne Simmons won't score My point is, if, if you're just looking for a guy who can run some guy into the glass, you can find that for less than a million dollars. Listen, I don't, no, I'll say Jamie, Jamie, Jamie yeah. Ben, without a long time without Tyler Sagan and not having the same kind of resources available to him that he would here, 
and obviously bringing it back to the Leafs, apparently. But not having the same kind of resources that he would have here, guys like Austin Matthews, John Tavares, Mitch Marner, William Nylander, you throw him on that top power play unit in front of the net, I guarantee you that he scores at minimum 12 power play goals. And listen, and he probably puts up 65, 70 points. At this point in time, if you told me that he made the same dollars as Nylander instead of 9.6, I would consider that. Because again, the intangibles of the well-rounded game are like he's a play, he's a playoff performer. He's he's going to be the type that wins you playoff games. You will drag guys and a team through a series, right? Like those are intangibles. But so you're telling me you would so if you could do okay so let's hypothetically say we're gonna trade we let's hypothetically say the Maple Leafs trade William Nylander, who is making what six point nine, and Coming the other way is Jamie Ben with fifty percent retained. So you're not paying nine and a half; you're paying you know five four and whatever. Yes, four seven I five. Mm-hmm. I did that deal tomorrow mm-hmm. to yesterday. So you save two million dollars, but you get a guy who's seven years older who put up forty six points last year, and you're losing William Nylander, who scored eighty points last year. Yeah, William Nylander was a point a game player last year for six point nine million dollars. Yeah, and every time, every time they're point a game player, seven years older. Every time they're point a game player, point a game. Sir, when they beat teams five to one, it doesn't matter if you beat them four to one or five to one. Even three to one, it like doesn't if matter. If you're losing, losing two more goals because of Nylander, who gives right, a fuck? They don't need goals. They don't. They beat teams six to one. You don't need goals when you beat teams six to one. You don't need goals when you beat teams five to one. You need guys with nut sacks. For the that, same like, argument we made for the Jays, we're making for the Leafs. Right. And the Jays are the exact same problem as the Leafs. They're top heavy with offense. Unfortunately, the Jays' offense doesn't perform either. But they're top heavy with offense. They don't have nut sacks. There's nobody on the team with a with a set of balls. What does Sagan make? What were Sagan's stats last year? He makes the same. Uh, it's nine point eight. But yeah. And, and what was his stats? Whatever. Uh, probably not much. I mean, probably better, but not significantly better. He not, played 81 games. 81 games. So, <laughs> uh, 24 goals, 25 assists, 49 points. Minus See, I, I feel like I feel like they're just. I feel like they were hurt because I they were practically non-existent, right? Like that's yeah. Their their feelings were hurt all year. Compared com, compared to compared to their contracts, their current performance state does not equate to their contracts at 50 percent retained though that's a different story i would take four no. and two million dollars i'm not no, gonna I'm lie good. i would do kneelander and a second round pick and maybe somebody you know like a mid-level prospect and maybe you're another roster play- no justin not- hall at both of them for 50 percent retained. Saying, you're not getting both <laughs> i would do it <laughs> i would do that in a heartbeat well of yeah. course you would but but yeah i i think the the what the would you do, would you do Kadri for Nylander at this point straight up? Ah, uh, probably. You're insane. No, I would. I would. How is that I insane? Would. What's the? It's the same. It's the same the play, It's exact same player, but yeah. better and younger. Yeah. I just. But like, that's but so so that's my point. They're in win now mode because of what's gonna. And again, we're off topic here. They're in win now mode because of the contracts and the way they're moving for this team. They need the guys who can get it done now. I can't wait three years for William Nylander to find his manhood. I can't wait three years for him to hit puberty. Like it's just, it's not. There's, there's no time. In three Wasn't years, his contract they're all, up in like two, three years. They're all gonna get 
paid astronomically or want astronomical money. So there has to be there has to be something like, and even even when they talk about the like last week when we talked about Patty Kane and them kicking the tires on Kane, he's the only guy that makes sense going the other way. And Patrick Kane is X how many dollars? Ten. Right? And how old? <laughs> A lot. And how old? Like thirty three. And what were his stats last year? Not he wasn't a hundred point guy. I'm going. Give me a second. But yes, uh, I, I I know what you're trying to say. Like you Patrick need, Kane. They're they're proven yep. winners. These guys have won. Like Ben's a gold medalist. Patrick Kane is ten and a half million. Ten yeah, ten and a half. And he's million what thirty four. Uh, he oh how old is he? He's thirty three. Right. And so, he scored a ton of points last year. 80? Eighty. <laughs> Oh no, more. He he scored twenty six goals and sixty six assists for ninety two points in seventy eight games. Yeah, the assists. And since me I it, and to be fair, since I said it for everyone else, minus nineteen. But in his situation, Chicago yeah. was horrible, so right. I don't necessarily I think, blame him for that. But like Dallas was a playoff team, and like Sagan and Ben were heavy minuses, so that's concerning. Yeah. Right, but I also think the Leafs are arguably a much better team than the Dallas Stars. I mean, they both are first round exits of the playoffs. Yeah, all things being equal, they have the stars could have a better goaltender if they get them under contract. They 100% have a better goaltender if they get them under contract. I have the solution: Nylander, first round okay. pick, Nick Robertson, and they can have their pick of one of Matt Murray <laughs> or <laughs> whatever or for Ottinger's rights. Ben and Sega 50% retained there. We're all happy. They yeah, want to luck. swap Robertsons there for a second. Yeah, good luck. No. Send Nick to play with his brother. He'd be happy. I mean, there probably is legs to a deal like that. And, you know, maybe. But I still, I'm going to die on this hill, guys. I don't think Nealand is getting traded at any point. I think he is too valuable to this team based on his contract. Production based on ha- contract, Yes. Yes. Point a game player for six point nine million dollars a year. Those don't exist in the NHL outside William Nylander. I know there's criticisms to him and the way he plays the game, and it's not necessarily the way that we like the game to be played. But I mean, but just remember points. that also I'm, is is value externally, right? I have the Jay game on to, to the right of me. Yes, I know it's horrible. No, they're losing four nothing, and they just showed a dugout of all of them joking around and laughing. That shit makes me angry. Yeah, let's move on because he's. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put my hand through one of these monitors and these are expensive and I don't wanna do that. Alright, so the final top final like sports topic of this week was a bit of a serious one, so I don't know if we want to spend too much time on this because obviously there's legal ramifications behind it. But Just call him out for what he is, a piece of shit. It, it, yeah, it, it's worth well <laughs> it's worth it's worth it explaining what happened. So um Matt Ariza, 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 whatever, the punter for the Buffalo Bills. Former punter. Was acute. Sorry, what was that? Former. Right. Good point. Uh, the former punter of the Buffalo Bills, because he was released on Friday, the 27th of August. Uh, this is because months, about a month prior, the Buffalo Bills were alerted by the lawyer of a victim of sexual assault that Matt was accused of being a part of. And the Bills said they're going to do their investigation and then subsequently did nothing. And 
even up until about a week ago, the Bills had even cut their backup punter. Like they were going with Matt Ariza, Ariza, whatever. And about two days later, after cutting their backup punter, they sent out a tweet saying that they have released Matt Ariza, Ariza, whatever. Now, there's a couple weird things here. First of all, the Buffalo Bills knew about this, but didn't do anything until like the media found out, which is kind of a dick move, to be honest. NFL in a nutshell. Right. And man, there's an, so I'm reading this off the Associated Press and I'm trying to find like this exact quote here because they have a, a quote from the lawyer of the victim. Well, first of all, there's also uh, Ariza's lawyer, uh, Carrie Armstrong, said, I'm sure he's very upset, he being Ariza, uh, and disappointed that his career with the Bills ended not because of he played poorly, but because of false allegations leveled against him by a young lady and her attorney. I hope he gets back in the NFL soon. Hmm. The victim's lawyer, Dan Gillian, Gillian? Sure. Issued their own statement saying the Bills ignored concerns that he raised about Ariza, Ariza, whatever, when contacting the team in late July. So about a month the team knew about this. And this was a statement from uh, the victim's lawyer. The Buffalo Bills had no choice but to cut their young punter after so badly botching their response to our claim. They ignored us. I warned them, I, I warned them would happen, ha, could be avoided if they, just kept their hand, if they just kept their heads in the sand. This is what enablers do. Let me, read, let me read that again because that came out wrong. Basically, what he was saying is they had warned that this would happen if they continued to ignore this whole situation. The, the quote is worded weirdly, I guess because it's coming directly from an interview rather than like actually a written quote. So, again, one of the situations where he is accused of a serious sexual assault. I don't really want to go into the details of it because it's kind of gross. But you can use your imagination. Um, and you, well, I'm sure you can look at the whole situation. Look, one of many accused. A number. There were a number accused. Yeah. So yeah, there was a number of people involved in this accusation. Uh, Matt was one of them, and it was with the minor as well. So, so he we'll add that. Uh, so he admitted to having a relationship with this woman. He's saying it's consensual, but she's also she was also a minor. Actually, let me rephrase by saying minor. Uh, it says a teenager. So I right. suppose it's possible uh, this person, this victim... She was 17. Is 19, is 19. She, she was 17. So that's what my assumption was, too. I thought I read 17 somewhere. Um, but I suppose, I don't know, whatever the case. So a teenager was the victim in the situation. There's a number of men who were accused of this sexual assault. And uh, the punter, the, buff the former punter of the Buffalo Bills was one of them as well. The Bills knew about it, didn't do anything about it. Until it started to break into the media, and then all of a sudden the punter is released. So who it's, wants to cheer for the Buffalo Bills this year? It's just such a garbage take that it's like the teams are, well, and I think, I believe when I was reading an article from SportsCenter about this, that Buffalo's like, well, we did a thorough investigation, and we don't believe there's any merit to this. And they kept him around. And then a week later, they cut him. And it just screams of well he's really really good and you know it's still being tied up and we'll do the wait and see but we're going to keep him around that's pretty much what they said and 
I don't know. Well, I, think, I, I think I said this a few weeks ago. I'm just so sick of this shit with these guys, like these leagues and these teams covering up for talent. Like, yeah, who gives a fuck how good you are? Listen, they they said that it came because as soon as he got drafted by the Bills, the allegation came out. Which, listen, I will say the timelines do ironically match up as soon as he was drafted. But I don't think the event that they're accusing of took too long before that was it when when did they say the event occurred they said it occurred during a halloween party so in october october i mean again who are we to say what motivates a victim to come forward maybe they don't want to watch someone succeed it's entirely possible that two things are true yeah she did it because he became a bill but it's because she doesn't want to watch somebody who did something succeed to that degree like it's entirely possible that both of those things yeah are are, are real what, I, what i'm hoping is is that whether listen there's there's always going to be collateral damage and it sucks there's always going to be dudes who are accused that it didn't happen there's always going to be victims who are not believed right and that all of that's unfortunate what i hope comes out of all of this from the nhl to the bills is that we're all just a little more fucking smart about what we do. Um, and people are a little bit more considerate about their actions. And people are a little more considerate about others. And you don't just willy-nilly go out there and think you're invincible. Because you're not. Like, I hope that people second-guess the, the debauchery they think they can get away with. Um, because it's pretty clear as day that it will cost you everything. So when you're at a party, a Halloween party, and you think I'm just, nothing's going to happen if this girl and I sleep together, even if it's consensual at the time, like really think about who you're, who you're spending your time with really like ensure, like just cross all your T's and dot your I's that, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like that's. I, I know what you're saying. Like, I imagine in this situation, alcohol is involved and drugs are involved, and you're at a Halloween party and everyone's dressed up to look College. like God knows what. It I can I can see a scenario where there's plausible deniability that he had no idea she was 17 years old. But so, then you need to and, find and, out. But, and, but again, like you're at like San Diego State, like is where this happened supposedly. You're probably assuming everyone there is in college. So Ask. anyways, I'm not trying to defend anybody. I'm just saying like I can see where there may have been miscommunication here. It's not I know. Yeah, I'm just saying at this point in time, the ramifications of that, even if you were mistaken, not like not worth it. Yeah. Like I Ask going for back ID. to kind of what you said about <laughs> the two things being true. I think it's a very real thing to for this girl to have this have happened to her, allegedly. And her mental state and her life could be perceived in her mind as ruined as, you know, this is something she'll have to live with forever. Why does this dude get to go on with his life and be successful with the Buffalo Bills? Do you know what I mean? No, uh, for sure. And that was kind of, I don't know if I talked about this before, but there was that documentary on Evan Rachel Wood on, it might have been HBO. Yeah. And she was explaining like the process of how like she was in this abusive relationship with Marilyn Manson and 
it wasn't until years later when you're finally able to say something about it because you're afraid or you don't feel you have the power to do it or or you're still under control or whatever the case. And so I'm not necessarily criticizing the victim in any way. I'm not trying to say that. What I'm saying is um, because because of the way the laws are, it's hard to, like, there's a statute of limitations on some of these things, right? And that was one of the things Evan Rachel Wood was trying to change, was like, we need the statute of limitations of sexual assault to be longer than however long it was. I think at the time it was five years. I think they got extended to seven years, but it needs to be even longer. Like, th there needs to be this opportunity for this victim to be able to come forward with their story when they are able to. And in this situation, it, they came forward a few years later, whatever it was, but that's when they felt comfortable doing it. So I think that needs to be considered that like, none of us know what this is like. None of us mm -hmm. know what they're going through, right? So uh, the timing of it, it doesn't even matter to me. It, it's just, they come forward when they can. Yeah. yeah. And I think to, you know, yeah, like being able to look at it, especially when it comes to it's one thing if it's two everyday people that we'll never hear the names of or never understand or never know or never come into contact with. It's another thing when you're a, you know, a victim like this going against a individual of a high profile status with a lot of resources and a lot of money to them. You think it's an unwinnable th like you almost feel defeated not only did this person do this to you allegedly but how are you going to fight it right like there, there's a lot of that that goes on in their head as well there's going to be a segment of people that are going to call you a piece of shit because just because they're bills fans yeah. like yeah well look like a perfect example is the deshaun watson fans that dustin referenced last week you know where they're standing outside the stadium with signs like yeah, free in support Watson. of Watson and kind of like and not just like we support Watson and very vulgar kind of disgusting ass signs um, in regards to the women who spoke up against Watson that it's it's you know I could say it's disgusting that's obvious I would say it's more tragic than anything yeah no matter what the regardless of what comes out it always seems like the athletes get away with it in some way like in terms of like the court of public opinion like there's always going to be those sports fans that are they don't care and that, no, they, that's it, if you can help their team win they don't give a shit you exactly. could murder a child at center field and they're like well you know why is the kid there why are they putting themselves in that position yeah, like they're going to rationalize the, it they'll make up all the excuses possible he was having yeah. a bad um, we gotta move, we gotta move on though um <laughs> because we want to end with something fun here so we decided to i mean over the past few weeks we've been doing our top five favorite this or top five least favorite that and one came up last week, and we thought, okay, this is going to be a good one. And we only have 18 minutes to get through it now. Oh, that's not bad. So, um, better than last week. Yeah, that's true. So today we are doing our top five favorite fast food items. Now, fast food kind of have a loose definition, and we try to narrow it down in a certain way. I don't think any of us are doing something crazy. It's generally like, I think Maddie says something like, if you find it in a mall food court, it's probably fair game. So we're going to kind of go with that, but we're going to try to keep it to like, Fast food names. establishments that you know. It's not like we're talking about like a very isolated place. Commercials on in TV. And out. Yeah, we're not talking about In-N-Out Burger. We're not talking about yeah. Whataburger. We're talking and let's, about and let's not do broad places. And let's not do big like wedding speeches about each of these. No. <laughs> like we're not professing our love at the window <laughs> after throwing rocks to a Big Mac. Like let's 
Let's cut to the chase. Give us the three fucking reasons why you like it, and let's move the fuck on. Who wants to go first? Chapeau. Not it. So it's you, Dustin. Oh, I, I thought you were yelling out what your favorite. No, chapeau means I'm not. Oh, I thought you were saying Chipotle is what I oh, thought no. you were saying. But um, not doing Chipotle, although I did consider Chipotle on my list. My number five favorite fast food item is something that's just like a go-to. You know, it's not necessarily the best, but it's something that is always going to satisfy you and the price is right. I am talking about the McDouble. Oh, that's a good one. Two patties. It's like two, two something dollars, 250 or whatever. It's a solid one, sl one slice of cheese away from a double cheeseburger. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that McDonald's taste you want when you want it. And again, not the best burger, not the biggest burger, but when you want it, it hits real hard. All right, I'll go next. Number five, salty, savory, always hot. A little too much mayo sometimes and lettuce, but it's the original chicken sandwich from Burger King. Yo, that's a oh. god tier sandy. So when you went with the salty and whatever, I thought you were immediately going to McDonald's fries there. And then he said no. mayo. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> no. Well, you can dip your fries in mayo. That's good. But um, the uh, the original chicken sandwich, man, like every time I go to Burger King, it even hits. if I order something else, I'm like, let's just add one on and take it home and eat it later because it's just so do, good. Do you ever go to the spicy option? Yes. Fantastic. It's good, but not as good as the OG. No, it's not as good as the OG, but it's still superb. Yeah. That's my number five. I like that. Okay. So my number five, similar to Dustin's, but I'm just better than him. What? The double cheese from McDonald's. <laughs> oh, Not the I McDonald's. see where you're going. Okay, okay. Pussy, lactose intolerant shit where it's like, well, I can only tolerate one slice of cheese, people. No. And I call that out to my wife because she's a McDouble fan and I'm a double cheese guy. No, none of that bullshit. You give me two patties, you give me two pieces of cheese. When you bite into that thing and you get... The pickle, the ketchup, the grease, the mustard, the onion, the grease. She more about what? the grease. All this stuff has grease. No, it's got what the dude. Where do you think what, your chicken sheen? sandwich got put into? It got yeah. put into oil and deep but, fried, dude. Yeah, the sheen, the sheen alone on some of this stuff, glistening with greatness. If you're doing this, trying to eat it and it's slipping <laughs> out of your hands, crab like that, Yeah, <laughs> just crabbing your way up. That's the but best. Yeah, the, 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 the double cheese is one of the the 2 Staple. a.m. staples. Remember remember the 2 a.m. McDonald's runs after oh, hockey? Hockey? Gym? Gorgeous. Good times. That was the best. Yeah. So Dustin. double cheese, number five. Perfect. Um, this is something that I know is going to be on Maddie's list as well. Maybe not necessarily this item, but I know this establishment is on Maddie's uh, list because I kind of let it slip that it was on mine. Uh, this is one of those items that I think... Not a lot of people would reach for. I think people go other directions with this place. I'm talking about Popeyes, and I'm talking about their spicy chicken. Not the tenders, not the sandwich, just the actual pieces of chicken, like the thighs or the legs or whatever. That's where it's at at Popeyes. I don't care what you get. Don't even give me this tender nonsense. Don't give me the sandwich nonsense, because there's better chicken sandwiches at like three other... But there aren't, there aren't better chicken there aren't better chicken tenders and that's why that was number four for me is the spicy chicken tenders with the sweet no, heat. I, I, i'm not saying there's better chicken tenders i'm just saying the tenders aren't as good as the actual chicken that is false that is that's that objectively is, not true yeah that is, objectively that is like false in a court of law you'd be found guilty sir 
There's no dude. Like honestly, you're lucky this isn't the 1700s because they'd hang you up for that statement. <laughs> <laughs> no, my number four was the chicken tenders from Popeyes, the spicy. Oh, um, but back, it was even better back when they gave you the Louisiana hot sauce, and you can add that oh, to my it. God. Oh my god! Oh boy, good. so good. And Have you biscuit, had that Louisiana hot sauce, Dustin? The biscuit, the fries. Oh, my god. I actually, I always get the buffalo sauce, so I'm getting like a tender's dipping sauce with my actual chicken, but I'm like breaking my chicken apart and dipping it. This guy's game, trying to game the system over here. He just No, he just likes to do extra work yeah, for his chicken. He wants to break the rules. It. That's okay. I'm a sweet heat guy myself, but you know. All right. Okay. So my number four is a little off the beaten path. It used to be a staple, but there's maybe one or two in the province anymore. Arby's curly fries. Maybe okay. the best fry on the menus. It's it is. got a little occasion. It's similar to the Popeye's fries, but they're curly and springy and enjoyable. And a little spicy. And yeah, and the horsey sauce. Oh. We're we're talking next level. I feel not, like not like the blue jays. I feel like the Simpsons need to be sued by Arby's because yeah. Since I was a child, I have ne- I don't think I've ever eaten an Arby's because there's that one episode of Simpsons where they I think it was like the land of the, or the children of the flies or whatever. The episode where they're uh, on the island by themselves, yeah. all the kids, and they're like, I'm so hungry, I could even eat at Arby's. And they're like, whoa, that's really hungry. <laughs> and ever since then, I've never wanted to eat at Arby's. Sir, we're going to do this. We're going to do this with you. Beef we're and cheddar. You up to Port Hope. Beef, no, Oshawa. We, can, it's, we don't have to go that far. We go okay. Beef and cheddar, curly fries. Let's get it done. It's, uh, you know, who used to eat a lot of Arby's was Bill Waters. Used to love Arby's. Yeah, yeah Arby's is great. When I uh, interned on the Bill Waters show, I used to have to go over to Arby's and get him like two roast beef sandwiches. Yeah, okay. I could see him being an Arby's guy. All right, my ass pays for it later though, but <laughs> Arby's is fantastic. Number uh, the three. closest Arby's to me, I think, is like Burlington. Oh uh, well, you're up. There's one in Burlington. There's one. Well, it's like halfway between Burlington and Oakville. I'm not sure if it's classified as Burlington or Oakville. Man, I'll but go yeah, there in after the work one Toronto day. Area, there's nothing. I'll I'll go out there. We'll take you. Um, uh, my number three is a staple for my Sunday football experience. You know, you get up, you set your fantasy team, you do some sports betting, and then you go out and you go get some food to feast on while you're watching four different games at once on zone. Nuggies for sure. For me, I'm going to Taco Bell. And I am still to this day shocked that they have normal shell tacos at Taco Bell because the best taco at Taco Bell is the Doritos Locos Tacos. And that is my number three, the tacos with the Doritos shell. Not the Cool Ranch ones. We're talking the normal nacho ones because Cool Ranch is like super gross. I don't yes. want Cool Ranch anywhere near me. I was like, the worst Dorito chip of all Dorito chips is Cool Ranch. Not all, mm, I was going to say Sweet Chili Heat's pretty bad, but by far, like, Cool Ranch is the worst. Sweet Chili Heat is number so, one. Sweet Chili Heat is not number one. Number one, maybe this is the top five later. <laughs> yeah, top five but, chip flavors. Top five chip flavors. I'm going to write that in for next week. But yeah, so yeah. Doritos Locos Tacos is my number three. Um, I like it. My number three... I'm going to go with the Whopper, the Burger oh, King. What is the matter? You have two Burger King items on this list already. Dude. Burger King's underrated. Burger King it's- is underrated. Um, 
the whoppers are trash, but everything else in the movie is great. They are trash. But the 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 charbroiled flavor that comes through in a whopper is unsurpassed by any like Harvey's can't do it the same. It's just it tastes like it came from a barbecue. Flame broiled, char broiled. The whopper is just it's big enough, but it's not as it's not thick. Like like yeah, you have the the extreme Big Mac or the whatever the Grand Big Mac. It's too much, man. But the Whopper, well, Whopper, Avec or Sans Fromage, uh, Avec. Okay, good. Always. Oh, so, C'est bon. Um, but it's just it's it's a nice size. It's simple: tomato, lettuce, mayo, cheese, charbroil flavor. I mean, glorious Whopper. Whopper Wednesdays. Yes. All right, Maddie, number three. My number three, when it works, McDonald's ice cream. And that's in any way. That is either the Sunday, <laughs> the McFlurry, works. the, you know, because the, the sheer amount of customization you can do with McDonald's ice cream is unreal. Like you can get a Sunday and I can be like, hey, throw some Smarties in that bitch, throw some Oreo at the bottom, put some fudge and at the top, put some caramel and in the middle, put the strawberry and they'll do it. So are you oh. considering a McFlurry a McDonald's ice cream? Yes. Okay. So, and you can put fudge sauce in that as well. You can put the sure. caramels, the strawberries. Like the sheer amount of customization, it can hit any vibe you're feeling for an ice cream on any given day when it works. And so, there's a drive through so you don't have to go to Dairy Queen. and Yeah, Dairy Queen or get like as much as I love Baskin Robbins for ice cream, I don't have to get my ass out of the car to get it and then mm -hmm. stand there and be like, Oh, let me try this one. Let me try. No, it's just ready to go. And again, when it works, and I'm happy. So that's my number three. All right, my number two. Uh, so I have had to alter this one as I've gotten older. Um, <laughs> I used to order the larger version of this when I was a bit younger, but I've had to scale it back a bit. <laughs> so if you asked me this question about ten years ago, I would have said the Wendy's triple. But now I have uh, reduced myself to the Wendy's double, the Dave's double, as you call it. Um, I think it's the perfect burger for fast food. Wendy's, I think, for overall taste of burger and the size of it and everything all encompassing, Wendy's is my favorite. So in this case, the Wendy's double gets my number two spot. That was my staple for a while going to the movies because we go to the movies theater that has a Wendy's attached to it. And that was my go-to. Did Dave double with cheese? And good burger, man. It's and the JBC. Yeah, do you want your bacon cheeseburger as well? Nice. Yeah. Uh, my number two is the goat of all accoutrement to any pizza meal. And that is Little Caesars Crazy Bread is... I knew it. Unreal. The most I knew you it was going to be you one You can two. house three bags and not even know about it until you're too bloated to get up to go to the bathroom like your list is the worst james no it's not it's no. the best man you got burger king on here twice and now little caesars we're talking about best fast bread? food items. what was the last time you had crazy bread let's we got ask brad myers about crazy bread in london we waited for an hour for our crazy bread don't don't it's the best they and it stinks. open one like a block from jim and me it's it, it's bad and then you try and eat oh. it on the way home but it stinks up your car so you gotta leave it remember uh, you gotta maddie, leave it. you're bad. maddie you're number two and blue jays is tied it up it's four four oh still fuck this team uh okay 
So my number two, same establishment as oh, no. Dustin previously mentioned. Oh, okay, okay. okay. I thought you were going to say <laughs> Little Caesars. I'm like, what else? No. Previously <laughs> mentioned by Dustin, but the best thing they have on their menu, and you can either go spicy or non-spicy, the Popeye's Chicky Sandy. There you go. That was, is the number two. I was typing the Wendy's chicken sandwich at this Sp- point. It's spicy, so, though. The Wendy's spicy chicky sandy is very good, but the Popeye's chicky sandy is the god of all. Like the other ones are like minor deities to Popeye's one true god chicken sandwich. Right. All right. So now we're into our number one pick. We have like four minutes to do this. Uh, I don't think it's going to take long because, as you said, the god tier, the number one deity of all fast food is McDonald's and their number one flagship burger is, of course, the Big Mac. Is it the best burger? No. Is it probably the most iconic burger? Yes. Is it everything you want when you want it? Yeah, hell right. Hell, hell yeah, it is. So that's why McDonald's, just because it's classic and it's exactly what you want when you want it, you can't ever go wrong getting a Big Mac. That's why Big Mac is my number one. Dude, I'm going off the beaten path here because I want, I'm, we're talking about favorites. We're not talking, we're talking about favorites. Not necessarily classics. So mine is the butter chicken poutine from New York Fries. It is so good. I'm not even writing that one down. That's a bold choice, Cotton. It is so... Every time I see New York Fries, like, even though I know it's not good for me to do it that day, I'm just like, man... You know, and I would have gone with the bulgogi poutine from K-Food. Oh, but but that's not a fast food place. It's not really a fast food place. But the butter chicken poutine is just... Dude, it's it's so good. Like it makes so much sense. And have you ever tried it? Has anyone here tried it? No. So good. So good. Not a All right, one. Maddie, take us home. My number one for every reason he said before that I'm adding to it now, and because on Wednesdays it's cheap as shit and it just hits every spot is the Whopper with cheese. Oh my god. That's number one. Get fucked. I can't believe I work with you guys. With your Burger King list, this is no, just because like it just it just like I said, it's you don't you eat it. It's the char broil. It's the perfect balance. The mayo that they use, everything. It's just it's perfection in a fast food burger. So this is why I wanted to rank fast food establishments, and maybe we'll do that on another. That'll episode. be the next one. But if we were Burger King, would not be in my top five. It's because you're an uncultured swine. Perhaps <laughs> <laughs> but we will have to, we will have to wait. Until perhaps next week, perhaps the week after that, to determine what the best fast food establishment is after we've now just established what our favorite fast food items are. But that is going to do it for us this week on 43.6. This was episode 20 of 43.6. Thank you very much for subscribing and doing all those wonderful things. Uh, We really appreciate it. We thank you for joining us, and we will see you next week.